Good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you for allowing me to come and teach before you again. And uh, it's a great privilege. And so um, as we've been studying through the book of First Thessalonians with the men on a Tuesday evening, and um, there's been times when we've referred back to the book of Acts and we've looked at the history of Paul's travels and how he came to be at the church of Thessalonica. But this really intrigued me. And I started to read back through Acts, and I started at chapter 13, where it sort of talks about Paul being chosen to start be a missionary. But today, I just I wanted to look at Acts chapter 14 with you, and um, I find this quite an amazing chapter. And as we go through it, we'll see how God worked through Paul and, and Barnabas as missionaries. We're going to see the idolatry and evil of man's heart, and we're also going to see the persecuted Christian in it. So if we could just start by reading the text together. So we're going to read Acts from verse 1 down to verse 22. So it says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. Who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands? But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leapt up and walked. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of this city, sorry, uh, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, 
strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come before you, to study your word together. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just guide my mouth this morning, this afternoon to speak your truth and that you would be encouraged and lifted by the word that I give to these people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, so let's go and have a look starting at verse 1. So it says in verse 1, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. So it's interesting here that um, we see Paul was in Iconium. Now, just to go back a bit without reading the previous chapter, Paul um, had left Antioch in chapter 13 because he'd been kicked out and he'd wiped the dust off his feet. And he left there being filled with joy in the Holy Spirit and because of the opposition he received. And he went here to um, Iconium. Now, he went to the synagogue with his companions. Now, this was quite customary for Paul to go to the synagogue, as this was probably the first place he would have gone, knowing that the Jews would be there. And Paul himself, being an educated Jew, he knew all the proceedings that were happening. And he was quite well known throughout the Jewish community. So he always seemed to start off in the synagogues. We read next, though, that he so spoke that a great multitude believed. We're not exactly told here what the message was that he spoke, but we are told that he spoke in such a way that a great multitude believe. I think this is quite important for when we might be wanting to share the gospel ourselves, as the message of the gospel is important. But what is equally important is how we say it. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So I believe that Paul here as a missionary was filled with love and the Holy Spirit to deliver the gospel in the right way. If we look at verse 2 down to verse 6, we can see that they experienced much opposition from the message that they shared with the, uh, from the unbelieving Jews. I think here it is important also to distinguish that it was not all the Jews who were opposed. From verse 1, we saw that there were many Jews who did believe, but there were Jews here who opposed him. And when we look here at the gospel message, I think the gospel message does two things. Firstly, it makes people choose. The gospel message makes people choose to either accept the message of salvation or to deny it. We're going to look at the second one a bit further on. Looking at verse 3, we can see that the reaction of Paul and his companions to this opposition is that they ran away and hid. No. <laughs> to the contrary, being filled with the Holy Spirit, they, it says they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. Yeah, Many people might have run away, but they stayed there speaking boldly in the Lord. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And again, we read in Proverbs 28 verse 1, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I'm sure most of you are aware of the news this week that might have come out of Canada of Pastor um, James Coates. Um, from Alberta. He, if you're not aware of the story, basically this pastor was arrested 
Um, he was put in jail. He's come out of jail. He's, he, you know, he, and recently they, the government have barricaded his church. They've put fences around it, the church Grace Life, and they've stopped anyone from entering the premises. And it was quite interesting because I was reading the article and I was listening to the interview that he gave. And one of the things that really stood out for me uh, through all this about Pastor Coates, he had disagreed with what the government was doing. You know, he, he obviously didn't want his church closed down and he talked against the government and what they were doing. But throughout it all, he found ways to boldly proclaim the gospel message for Jesus. And he proclaimed that the church belonged to God and not man. The church was a building. It wasn't not the building. It was the people. And I found this so encouraging, you know, that you could just tell the Holy Spirit was filled within him. And he was proclaiming this boldly, you know, every chance he got, he proclaimed the gospel. The next part of verse three, as we look down, we can see that many signs and wonders were done by the hands of Paul and Barnabas and that they bore witness to the word of God's grace. I think what is really important to recognize here is that it was the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. We read it there. It says, therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. You know, Paul and Barnabas were just the vessels filled with the Holy Spirit to be used by God for his glory and his purposes. I think we too should be willing to be used by God and we should never seek any of the recognition or glory for ourselves. We read in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 28 and 29, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. All glory should go to God always. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did here. Now, in verse four, we see the second thing that the gospel message does. I said there's two things the gospel message does, and that is it divides. Here we see that the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And we see that the Jews who were opposed to Paul in the gospel and some of them part sided with them, and we see that some of were with Paul and Barnabas and, and you know we know that there were Jews and Gentiles amongst them and I just wonder is this not the same thing that we say see today in our own society firstly the gospel message makes people choose between repentance or rejection of God and it also divides those who come into contact with people who share the gospel message I'm sure many of us here can attest to division in our own families just because of the gospel I myself sadly can say that I have family members, grandparents who have rejected the gospel, who have heard it. And it brings division and it is sad, you know. Um, yes, but, you know, it's one of those things. But we should not be surprised by this because Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, Jesus ultimately knew that his purpose was to bring peace between man and God, you know. But he also knew that those who chose repentance would experience conflict and difficulty and trouble from those around them in this short lifespan. Moving on to verse 5 and 6 then, we see that Paul and Barnabas 
after hearing that a mob instigated by the Jewish unbelievers wanted to stone them, they decided to flee Iconium to the cities of Lystra and Derbe. It is interesting how on this occasion the wisdom given to them by the Holy Spirit was to flee. And although we are not specifically told it was God who told them to flee, I do believe that the Holy Spirit who dwells in all believers gave them the wisdom to leave at that moment in time, either for their own protection or because he had another purpose for them somewhere else. God is sovereign and he decides everything that happens in our lives. In verses 7 to 10, we see Paul preaching and the miracle of the lame man. We see from verse 7 that as they came to Lystra, they began to preach the gospel, which is something the apostles did wherever they went. And they were just following what Jesus had commanded all of us to do in Mark 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Looking at verses 8 to 10, we see the miraculous healing of the man, the lame man. And we see Paul who healed him. And this is quite an amazing testimony of God's love here. I just uh, wanted to note a few things, though. Firstly, the lame man heard Paul preaching the gospel and he believed. Secondly, we see that Paul was watching him intently and he saw that he had the faith to be healed. How did Paul know that he had the faith to be healed? I believe there are two explanations here. Firstly, he was given discernment from the Holy Spirit to recognize the faith in this man. But also, as Romans 10 verse 17 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So because of the man hearing the word of God and of salvation and the gospel and him believing, it was accounted to him as faith. And we see the evidence of this faith that when Paul said loudly, stand up straight on your feet, that the man leapt up and walked. So he believed. Now we look at verses 11 to 13 and we see the reaction of the crowd to this miracle. Now Lystra was probably more of a gentle place than there wasn't much Jewish people in the area. And there, there was no synagogue mentioned in the temple, in the text that Paul went to. So it's likely that Paul was preaching to the pagans in the local area. And it was people who believed in idols and folklore. And so it was the reaction of the crowd that they called Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. Now, I'm not going to get too much caught up in the whole Greek gods thing. But just a brief uh, thing for you. Zeus was the chief god in Greece. And Hermes was known as the messenger of the gods. As Paul did most of the talking, as we know throughout Acts, he was seen as Hermes. Just a slight bit of history and legend here for you from this area. There was a legend that Zeus and Hermes once came down as mortals and no one gave them hospitality except an elderly poor couple. So in their anger, Zeus and Hermes wiped out the entire population except for the old couple. So you could probably see why the crowd here were honoring Paul and Hermes with sacrifices as they did. From verses down, from 14 down to um, 18 then, we see the um, reaction of Paul and Barnabas. How did they react? Did they say, this is amazing? I love this. Let's just start. No, they tore their clothes in disgust at the reaction of the crowd. This was a very instinctive Jewish reaction to blasphemy. Because they were also, but they were also trying to show them, the people, that they were human. You know, they ripped off, look at us, we're just men, <laughs> it says here in the text. Paul told them to turn away from their useless worship 
of pagan gods and turn to the true living God, the God of creation. It is also interesting to note here that they did not refer to the Old Testament scriptures or the prophets when they spoke to these people because probably the, the pagans would never have heard of them. This was, like I said, it wasn't a, a predominant Jewish community. It was predominantly Gentile and pagans. So he appealed to their natural revelation, things that pagan could understand by looking at the world around them. This is important for us to learn from that we need to know our audience and culture when we share the gospel with others. Another thing to note here is that Paul and Barnabas did not want any recognition for themselves. They did not go around having a healing ministry. They were missionaries sharing the gospel and occasionally God used them to perform miracles. Just as Jesus did when he was on the earth showing his love and compassion for mankind. Now, looking then at verse 19 and 20, we see that the unbelieving Jews pursuing Paul and Barnabas had persuaded the same crowd who wanted to offer sacrifices them, take them out of the city and stone Paul. This is quite crazy if you think about this, how quickly the heart of man changed to one minute wanting to give them sacrifices to wanting to kill them. But is this really crazy? Last week, Kevin shared through the Passion Week and shared how on the Monday, people were praising Jesus as their king. And by the Friday, they were wanting to crucify him in the same week. We know that God's plan was for that to happen. And he, he changed the people heart. But throughout the, the word of God, we see different instances, you know, of men quickly changing from good to evil. I just look at the Israelites and how quickly after they've witnessed the true and living God, what he'd done for them and brought them out of the land of Egypt. And then Moses went up to the mountain for 40 days and nights. And what did the people do? They asked for a golden calf to worship and follow. Just like that. But the Lord himself declares in Jeremiah 17 verse 9 and 10. And he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. I think this is an important lesson for us to hold on in these days especially, that the wicked heart of man can become very evil very quickly. Why was Paul stoned on this occasion and not able to escape as he did in verse 6 of the same chapter? We don't know. But what we do know is that God still spared his life and he still had a plan and a purpose for him as he got up and returned into the city, probably to show the people that he hadn't been killed. And then he left for Derby the next day on his own conditions. Perhaps this was a testimony for a young man called Timothy who lived in Lystra with his mother and decided to follow the calling of Jesus and Paul, which we see later on in, in Acts chapter 16. Now, in verse 21 and 22, we see Paul and Barnabas once again preaching the gospel. Didn't stop them. Even what I would assume to be a great ordeal for Paul. He'd been stoned. People thought he was dead. I'm sure he got injured. <laughs> but still, he got up and went to preach the gospel again. We see God's grace and strength enabling them to continue the work he had been given to them. 
So they returned without fear to the previous cities. And it says that they were encouraging and strengthening the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to stand firm in the faith by saying what to them? Don't worry, God is with us. It's okay, God will bless us and provide for us and heal us and grant us favor above all others. Those are great words of encouragement. Things that we all want to hear. And if we're going to go through hardships and tribulations in our lives, we want those encouragements. And God does give us those promises and blessings in his word. But that is not what was said here by Paul. It is interesting. When we teach in Sunday school, we have the lesson that we're given. And there's always a key verse from the text that we give the, the children. And for me, verse 22 is the key verse of this chapter. And it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now, here is a verse that is not very popular today in many churches. They would much rather hear about the blessings from God and all his goodness and not that we have to suffer to enter the kingdom of God. The Greek word for tribulations here is thlipsis, which means affliction to pressure, troubled, burdened. And it is used over 45 times in the New Testament. I'm going to look at some of these verses shortly with you. It's quite interesting today that when we think of the word tribulation or persecution, we don't tend to link it much to Western churches. But maybe we think of our brothers and sisters in places like North Africa and the Middle East who are literally abused and killed for their faith in Jesus. Or when we think of tribulation, we might think of revelation and the great tribulation that is to come before Jesus returns. It's quite um, The NIV Bible has been seen as a Bible that is published to meet the need for a modern translation. I am not against the NIV Bible. I think, you know, it is good, and I personally prefer the New King James. But the NIV does not actually use the word tribulation here or in many other verses where the actual word is used in the King James. But it uses the word hardships or in many other places sufferings. I think it's to make it more palatable and relevant to us today in the modern church because we can all relate to hardships and sufferings that we might have been through. But I think the main point that Paul is trying to convey here, though, is the same message that Jesus spoke of in John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. It says trouble in the NIV. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Or as Peter said in 1 Peter 3 verses 12 to 14. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice. To the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. I want us to turn to uh, Romans chapter 5. If we could. Just a short turn to the right. And, and I want to read from verses uh, 1 to 5 here. And it says, Therefore, 
having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Paul went through many hardships and sufferings in his ministry as an apostle. We can read about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to turn there and read to you them. You can follow if you wish. I'm going to be reading in chapter 11 of uh, 2 Corinthians. It's only a short turn. And um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, on verses 22 down to 28, I'm going to read. And it states here, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's actually the occasion here in Lystra that he was talking about. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold nakedness besides the other things what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches so here we see paul i mean i've just read your list of stuff that paul suffered for christ and what did he end off with i think about the churches <laughs> i think about you that was his strength his love and it is amazing that god you know saw him through that and as he says in 2 corinthians verse 5 for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation or comfort also abounds through Christ. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, yes, but we don't get persecuted like that. Or we're blessed in the Western world with all the freedoms that we have. When I started to prepare for this teaching, I really wanted to just focus on verse 22 and, and the persecuted Christians. But I felt led to actually teach from the, the entire chapter and go back from verse 1. And the reason is because I, th I think when you look back at what Paul went through and how quickly man changed, you know, it, it's really important to understand this, you know, because we can look at how, as I said earlier, the crowd, they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas and then the next thing they wanted to kill him. Yeah. So when we look at society today, we can see that these things are starting to happen around us here in the Western world. Things are changing and the way the world acts towards the church and those who believe and follow Jesus. We, I've already mentioned Pastor James Coates and Grace Life Church in Canada and how he was arrested, put in jail, his church being fenced off just for preaching the gospel. 
Here in our own country, there have been stories of police turning up at churches, shutting them down for breaking the rules. In a recent article this week, it was talked about how the Labour leader, Keir Starmer, apologised for attending an evangelical church in London that was actually doing good in their community because of their beliefs on marriage being biblical. Pastor Agu Eriku was quoted as saying, as a child growing up in a Commonwealth nation, one aspect of Great Britain which I found most admirable was its promotion of strong values, including fairness and justice. Over the past 48 hours, I have been disturbed to see these values eroded, especially in the courtroom of social media. We have felt prosecuted, judged and sentenced unfairly. Now, we have not heard of any stories of beatings or killings here in Britain because of people having faith in Jesus. But this is not to say that it could occur in a time. I've been reading a book on the history of the church called uh, 2000 Years of Christ's Power. And in there, there's a story about a Roman Empire, Diocletian. Now, he had a, quite a tolerant attitude towards religion. But however, due to influence from his Caesar, Caesar, within a matter of five years, he had made edicts or laws, firstly, to destroy all church buildings and Bibles, secondly, to arrest and imprison all the clergy, Third, that all clergy were to offer sacrifices to the Roman gods or be tortured. And finally, that all citizens throughout the empire were to sacrifice to the gods or be executed if they refused. That was in five years. I want to read you an account from this book, which is quite interesting. I find it really interesting at the time. And um, it's called The Exile and Martyrdom of Cyprian. Now, it's a, it's a, a conversation... <laughs> that was recorded between um, Paternus, who was the governor of North Africa, and he brought Cyprian, who was a Christian, into his presence. So Paternus, the most sacred emperors, Valerian and Galenaeus, have honored me with letters requiring all who do not observe Rome's religion to profess their return to Roman rites of worship. I have therefore asked you by the name of what religion do you call yourself? What is your answer? Cyprian, I am a Christian and a bishop. I know no other gods beside the one true God who have made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it. We Christians serve this God and we pray to him day and night for ourselves, for all people and for the health of the emperors themselves. Paternus, do you persist in this purpose? Cyprian, this good purpose which acknowledges God I cannot change. Paternus, in obedience then to the command of the emperors, you can go into exile to the city of Carubis. Cyprian, I go. A year later, one year later, a new governor, Galerius Maximus, he recalled Cyprian from exile. Galerius, are you Fascius Cyprian? Cyprian, I am. Galerius, the most sacred emperors have commanded you to conform to the Roman rites of worship. Cyprian, I refuse. Galerius, think about the consequences. Cyprian, do as you must. In so clear a case, I do not care about the consequences. Galerius, Thascius Cyprian, you have long lived an ungodly life and you have brought together a number of people bound by an illegal association 
and you have confessed yourself an open enemy of the gods and religions of Rome, the pious, most sacred and exalted emperors, the P Valerian and Galenius, have tried in vain to bring you back to conformity with their customs of religious worship. Therefore, since you have been arrested as the chief and ringleader in this notorious crimes, we shall make you an, ex an example of you to those who have wickedly associated with you. The authority of the law shall be sealed in your blood. It is the sentence of this court that Thascius Cyprian be put to death by the sword. Cyprian, thanks be to God. That was back then in the Roman, that was a martyr. And at that time, Rome would have been seen as the modern Western world of the day. Now, I'm not saying these things to scare you away from church. Please don't all run out of here, okay? <laughs> I'm just trying to recognize the truth of how quickly man's hearts and thoughts can change to evil towards God and his people. I want to encourage and edify you with these words from the Lord. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But as we've already read in Romans 5, that tribulation produces perseverance and character and hope. And as James tells us in James 1, verse 2 to 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Another glorious truth that we hold on to is found in Romans 8. Let us turn there together. In Romans 8 and verses, uh, we're going to read from verses 35 down to uh, 39. Words that you're probably all very familiar with. And it says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to encourage you that no matter what hardships we face right now, or what tribulations may yet to come, the Lord has promised us in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, that you trust in the Lord with all your heart, Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And finally, I want to finish by reading Revelation 21, verse 4 to 17. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, 
It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And that's the glorious news. That's the glorious future that we have with Jesus. That is our eternity. And, and some of you might be thinking there today, thinking following Jesus sounds like hard work. You know, Ooh, is it worth it? Should I listen to the gospel message? And, but I just want to read where we were reading in Revelation 21, because, you know, the truth of following God, we've already seen that he is with us. He loves us. He will see it through us. The God of angels is on our side. Whom shall I fear? But if you choose not to follow God, as the gospel is a choice, then verse 8 of that same chapter in 21 says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, adulterers, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That is the choice that we make. Thank you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just I thank you for your word, Lord, and I, I thank you that this word that you've given us is truth. And I thank you, Father God, that you are the God of angels. You are, everything is in your control, and you are with us. And Lord, even though at times we might suffer for your name's sake, Lord Jesus, we know that it is for your glory, and that no matter what happens here on earth, nothing can ever separate us from your love. And that one day we will be with you for eternity, where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. I pray, Lord, that as we go out, Lord, that we will just keep these words in our hearts and just have that boldness to share your gospel wherever we can, with whoever we can. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.